My name is Josh. I'm one of the leaders here at Compassion. And Pastor Jamie and Jill are not with us this weekend. They were in Las Vegas this week. And uh, they lost so big, they didn't have enough money to get home or for a rental car. I'm just teasing. He was at a leadership meeting in New York. And because of weather, you could not get a plane out of there. And he wanted to be here, so he tried to rent a car. And they weren't renting any cars. And so he called me and said, I cannot get out of here. I have tried everything. I believe you had something going on last night. And he said, I got to be here for my daughter. He didn't care about any of you, but he had to be here for her. And they were unable to be here. And so he asked me if I'd speak, told him I would, got off the phone and said, what in the world am I going to preach on? And we're talking about marriage. And I'm telling you, it's one of those moments. I think a lot of us have had one. It's a God moment. You look back at it and go, God spoke. I took out my iPhone, I took my notes, and I wrote the sermon out in about five minutes. So I want to tell you today, God has a word for you. And I'm not going to talk about marriage between husband and wife. I'm going to start this series by talking about another marriage. And an example of this would be, to let you know what I'm talking about, a friend of mine's on an airplane, and he's traveling by himself to go speak at an engagement. He's a pastor of church. And there's a lady, and they begin to have a conversation. She's sitting right beside him. And the conversation, he, he thinks it's going well. He's not thinking anything about it. Just kind of chit-chat. You know, you're on a plane. And then she says, would you like to have some drinks tonight and maybe even a little bit more? And he realizes, she's coming on to me. And so he looks at her and says, well, I can't do that. I'm married. And she looked at him and said, so? He said, you don't understand. I'm married to two people. And she got this look on her face and said, what? He said, yeah, I'm married to a woman and I'm married to a man. It got really weird. And then he explained to her, he said, the woman I'm married to is my wife. The man I'm married to, Scripture calls the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I had drinks, or even a little bit more, I'd have to explain it to my wife, and I would have to explain it to my Lord, and I'm not about to do that. And they went into a conversation, and he led her to Christ on an airplane. That's the story. But, but i got to be honest with you. I bet for a minute there she thought, this man is out of his mind. And i got to tell you, when I first heard people talk about the marriage union that Jesus Christ, being the groom, has with his church, being the bride, it's just weird to me. I didn't grow up in church, so the first time that I heard a preacher get up and preach, Jesus is my husband, I thought, what? I mean, there's a lot of things I get, you know, like Jesus is my friend, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my commanding officer. There's a lot I can relate with. My husband, it's just a little weird for me. And then I'm over in Pakistan, and I had the privilege of preach. We saw over, yeah, in four nights, we saw over 800 Muslims come to faith in Jesus Christ. It was absolutely amazing. God moved. And during that time, I'm with a young man by the name of Simon and his wife, and they want to take me somewhere really special to eat, so they take me to a place called Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm in Lahore, Pakistan, eating at Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
And they're like, is it good, Brother Josh? And I said, really? It's good. You know, all the foods I can eat, you brought me to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And over here it's fast food, but over there it's sit down. I mean, this is a big deal. And so I looked and I said, how did you meet? And he said, oh, I remember when I saw her. He said, I told my father, I want her to be my wife. And I said, oh, I've, I've heard people say that before. You know, like first time they saw you or saw their spouse, they went, that's the one. He said, no, no, no. I mean, no, she's going to be my wife. I told my dad to go get her. I said, really? I said, well, how did you know him? She said, oh, I didn't until the day we got engaged. I said, this is getting a little, explain this to me. I didn't know that in Pakistan they still had arranged marriages. And I sure didn't know that the way marriage takes place over there is actually more like the Bible than the way we do it over here. And I learned a lot from them there at that Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I, and I went back and I went on a journey for the next three months and I went, I'm going to study everything I can in Scripture and I'm going to study the customs, manners, and times of the New Testament. I'm going to study Jewish culture. I want to learn more about this wedding and, and what marriage looks like in the days of Jesus. And I found this out. I found out that there are actually three ceremonies, not one. We have one ceremony, the wedding ceremony. They had three. And I want to talk to you about that today because if you're the bride of Christ, and by the way, you're going, does the scripture really say that? Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. Look at what it says with me. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Just pull that up, if you would. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Now, who's your Redeemer? Jesus. He is called the God of all the earth. Jesus comes and they're questioning him about why his disciples don't fast. And Jesus says this in Matthew 9, 15. Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? See, Jesus is saying, I'm the groom. And would guests mourn while the groom's here? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they'll fast. And by the way, the disciples did. After the groom left, after Jesus made his ascension, they began to spend time in fasting and in prayer. You know, Josh, explain to us these three ceremonies because I want you to get a deeper revelation today about this relationship that God wants with you. The first ceremony is this. It was the dowry ceremony. Now, anybody in here, do I have some men that you have little girls in the house? You have daughters? Raise your hand, all the men with daughters. You're going to love what I'm about to teach you. You're going to love this. I got three little girls. You know, today, when your little girls grow up and get married, it's customary for who to pay for the wedding? Me, the bride's family. I think it's a crock. I don't like it. I got five kids. Thank God two of them turned out to be boys. But I still got three girls, and I'm supposed to pay for all three of those weddings? I hope they like Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's what we're going to be doing for the rehearsal dinner. But 2,000 years ago, it was different. 2,000 years ago, here's the way it went down. If a young man saw a lady and he said, Hey, and he thought, that's who I want, he would go to his dad and he'd say, Hey, Dad, I saw a girl today, and she's the one I want. 
And the dad, in turn, would go to the dad, the father of that young lady, and they would sit down, and this was called a dowry ceremony. And he'd say, my son wants your daughter's hand in marriage. What would you take for her? You go, what? That's right. The dad had to pay a dowry to the other daddy. And the daddy of that bride, depending on what he was like, He'd call out a price. He may say something like two goats, five pieces of clothing, and a cow. Right? Or if he was a dad like me, I'd say, now I want what I'm going to tell you in perpetuity. I've been watching Shark Tank and <laughs> let's talk about this. And then once he laid out what he would take for his daughter, the other father had to make a decision. Did that girl hold enough value to him and his son to pay that amount? Could he afford it? Was it worth it? And the father would go and have a conversation with his son right there at the ceremony. They'd have a side conversation. He'd say, here are the terms. And they'd have to make a decision whether dad is going to pay that or not. And if he paid that at that point, once he had decided to pay and he had paid the dowry for that young lady to marry this young man, if any other father approached the father of this of this promise-to-be bride and said, hey, my son likes your daughter. Can we talk about a dowry? That father would say this. This is the terminology. He would say, she's bought at a price. When I heard that the first time, I went, wow. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says that you and I, if we're Christ followers, that we have been, been purchased and that we are bought at a price. In other words, God the Father was with God the Son. And Jesus said, hey, Dad, I want them. I want John, and I want Jackie, and I want Mona, and I want Jessica, and I want Amy. God, I want them. The Father said, well, let's sit down and see what it would cost. And because we were under the God of this world, the Bible says. You go, well, the devil wasn't our father. What, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees when he got upset with them one day? He said, you are of, of your father who? The devil. Ephesians 2 said, you, when you were under sin in darkness, you were children of what? Disobedience. When Adam and Eve sinned in that garden and they ate that fruit, they turned the title deed of this world over to Satan. And he's been making a mess of it ever since. And that's why you got kids being molested, you got women being raped, and you got men being murdered, and you got genocides all over the world, and you got starvation, and everybody wants to blame God for this, but the truth is, that was never a part of God's plan. But he gave men and women free will, and they took that free will, and they, and they gave in to Satan, and Satan has been wreaking havoc ever since. And one day Jesus said, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of them being under Him. I want them to belong to me. And the Father said, well, you know what it's going to cost. And what it's going to cost is you. The Bible says in 1 Peter, let's read this together, chapter 1. Knowing that you are not redeemed. That word redeemed means to be bought or to be purchased back. You weren't bought. You weren't purchased with corruptible things like silver or gold. 
Now the price for you was a lot more than that. But with the precious blood of Christ. Listen, I think at the cross the devil thought he had won. What he didn't realize was he had just lost because you and I had just gotten paid for. The dowry payment had just been made. At that cross, when Christ took his last breath, you and I at that point had been bought at a price. And if you ever were, if you ever wonder, man, do I have value? And you ever look in the mirror and you're just down on yourself or you're somebody that has self-esteem or self-image problems and you just don't feel like you have any worth, remember this. As a friend of mine said one time, he said, something's only worth what somebody else will pay. Well, I'm glad to know that because somebody paid his only begotten son for me. Therefore, that determines my worth. Even on my bad day, I'm still worth the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him being willing to lay His life down for me. That's the dowry ceremony. And then after the dowry ceremony, you go, it's it. Nope. Then comes the second ceremony. It was the engagement ceremony. That young man in the engagement ceremony, this is where you're going to ask the young lady to marry you. Now, this is my wife over here. I'm going to embarrass her. Honey, stand up. I want to tell you guys how I proposed to her because I am slick. I want to teach you something, man, about romance, okay? Y'all ready for this? Look at her. She's going, you ain't going to teach them nothing. <laughs> Who are you fixing to turn the mic over to? Turn around wave at everybody so they can see you. See how pretty you are? There you go. All right, now sit down, woman. I bought an engagement ring for her right up here in, in Dixon over in the shopping center. And me and the guy haggled all day, and I finally got a, got a good deal on it. And I had it in my pocket, and I'm thinking, okay, i got to plan this out. It's got to be big. Is anybody in here as impatient as I am? Anybody struggling with impatience? And I, she's in the car with me. We're coming home, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I mean, you know, I need to plan it out. But And then we pass a road. If you go that way... We passed a road called CCC Road. Y'all know where that's at in Tennessee City? My sister lived off a road called Manly Loop. And we're passing CCC, and I just thought, I got it. Because I didn't want to wait. I mean, look at her. I'm afraid she's going to smarten up, you know? <laughs> so I pull off CC, get on Manly Loop, pull up my sister. She goes, what are we doing? I said, there's a pond back here behind their house. She goes, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, yeah, it's the neighbor's. She's like, aren't we trespassing? I'm like, it's okay. He won't care. You can trespass for this, okay? I don't know if that's true, but it's what I was thinking. We're walking back there. Is this not a true story, honey? She went right through a spider's web. She's running around, jumping around. Get it off of me. Get it off of me. I started thinking at that point, maybe I should just hold this ring. This man would be a good idea. Then she starts getting ate up. You go, your grammar. Listen, I grew up in Jayville, Jay Vegas, Johnsonville, Tennessee. Down there it is. You got eaten up with, with mosquitoes. And she keeps saying, I just want to go. I want to go. And it's getting dark. She confesses to me later. She said, I thought, he's not a serial killer, is he? <laughs> is that true? She starts going, why is he bringing me out here? She starts getting paranoid and watching me. Mind you, she's about to say yes to marrying me, but she's wondering if I'm a serial killer. 
And she's starting to go, what is going on here? And then I go over there and I get down on one knee and I hold that ring up, all one quarter of a carrot. And I, and I put it up to her and I said, will you marry me? And guys, I'll never forget it. Here's the romantic part. You ready for it? She looked at me and said, yes, yes, this is creepy. Can we go? She was freaking out at that pond. I said, yes. She goes, yes, yes, yes. Come on, come on, let's go. You walk in front. And that's how romantic I am. And men, I've taught you something today, okay? And the men are going, you didn't help me. Yes, I did. Your wife is more grateful for you now than before you came in this room. She thought you weren't romantic after hearing that. She looked over at you and said, I love you. And that day, you didn't have an engagement ring. You had a cup. This is the way they, a young man would ask a young lady to marry him. You go, yep, Josh, but the dads had already decided, yeah, but the girls still had a choice. See, when I first read this, I thought, that's not how arranged marriages work. And then I went back and I read when Isaac had sent, or Abraham had sent a servant to get a wife for Isaac. And even when he found Rebekah, and even though the servant representing Abraham and Laban, this girl's daddy, even though they agreed on the dowry, read it, it's in the book of Genesis. He still looked over, because this is the way God wanted it to be, and he said, I understand your dad agrees, but he looks at Rebecca and goes, but do you want this? So you still got to make the decision as well. It's all been worked out for you, but you still have to say, I do. And Rebecca said she did. And she went, and the love story goes on. In that day, you didn't get down on a knee and pull out a ring, but what you would do at the dowry ceremony is a young man would walk up and he'd have a cup. And he'd hold that cup out to that young lady and he would literally say this, take, drink. See, she knew that cup represented his body, his life. And that wine represented his blood. And when he said, take, drink, it was the same as saying, will you marry me today? But here's what he was saying. I think it has more meaning than the ring. Because he was saying, this is my life. And I would willingly shed all of my blood to protect you. Now I'm offering my life to you. And I'm offering all the blood in my body, if need be, to keep you from harm's way and to keep you safe. And she had to decide at that point, do I accept his life or don't I? Do I come into covenant with this man or do I not? And if she took and drank, it was the same as saying yes. You didn't answer with words. You either denied the cup or you drank from the cup. Jesus is sitting with 12 men on the night he'll be betrayed in an upper room after he's washed their feet. He picks a cup up from the table because it's Passover. But communion doesn't exist yet, but it's about to. And he takes a cup and he picks it up and he holds the cup up and here's what he said. Take, drink. And they understand that cup is his life and that wine is his blood. And if those men drank from that cup, they were coming into covenant relationship with Jesus. And the cool thing is he didn't just offer it to the good men in the room. They're all going to actually abandon them, so now I think about it, none of them are that great. But he even offered it to Judas, who just a little, just a little while longer, 
he'll look at and he'll say, he who dipped in the cup after me is my betrayer. And then he'll go, what you do, go and do quickly. Here's what I mean. To the most rotten of us, to the greatest scoundrel of all, Jesus offers a cup. And he says, I'm offering you my life and I have shed my blood. Will you accept it? And you have to make a decision in this life. Will you reject the life and blood of Jesus or will you receive him? Every time you take communion, here's what you ought to be thinking about. I'm renewing my vow. Every time I take communion, I think about the night I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was a drug addict. I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he saved a scoundrel, a thief, a liar, and a drug addict. That's what Jesus did for me. I was not a good person. I don't claim to be. I'm not proud of who I was before Christ one bit. But he offered me his life. And when I take communion, it's always like a couple that is renewing their marriage vows. It's always me saying, God, I remember that promise I made to you on a Wednesday night. And I'm making that promise to you all over again. I'm recommitting myself to serve you with everything in me. After she took the cup, his friends, the friends of the bridegroom that Jesus talked about earlier in the, one of the opening verses, they would bring over a present. This present, it was an engagement present. It was called Arharban. Now, I'm probably butchering the Greek pronunciation of that word because I, I don't even pronounce my English words very well. But it was a gift, and here's why. Because the moment she drank that cup, she would stay at her father's house until the wedding day. But she didn't belong in her father's house. In other words, she lived there, but her father no longer had any responsibility. He didn't have to pay the bills for her. He didn't have to feed her. He didn't have to spend a dime on her. That was the job now of her betrothed, the man she's betrothed to. So he had to give gifts, money and clothing and food, and the list goes on so that she could be provided for because now she was his responsibility. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. You may be in the world, but you're not of the world. And you say, wait a minute, why didn't God give me a gift when I accepted his salvation? He did. That Greek word, arhaban, is actually in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let's look at it together. In him you also trusted... After you heard the word of truth, in other words, he offered you the cup, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, that means you accepted the cup. You accepted Christ in your life. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee. See that word guarantee? Arhaban. Who is the Arhaban, who is the present, the engagement gift of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. In other words, until He returns back for His bride, because even though they were betrothed, here's what He would say. After they were betrothed, He would give the gift and then He would say this. See if this sounds familiar. Everybody listening? I go prepare a place for you. Speaking to His bride. This was rehearsed just as much as, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Just the way we'd say that, here's what he would say at the engagement ceremony. He'd look at his bride and he'd say this. I look at you. I better not look at somebody else's wife. Let me look at mine. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You ever heard that before? Jesus is getting ready to go. You go when? After he gave them communion. It's like an engagement ceremony in that upper room. He gives them communion. They come into covenant. He offers His life, His blood. They accept it and say, we're one with you. And then Jesus said this, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. If it were not so, I would have told you. In My Father's house are many mansions. He goes on and says something like this. And if I go, I will come again. And receive you unto myself. And you say, but he's supposed to give them a gift. He talked about that gift in the very next chapter. He said, I'm going to send the promise, the gift, the person of the Holy Spirit. He's going to comfort you. He's going to teach you. He's going to reveal truth to you. The person of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is the greatest gift outside of salvation that God will ever give you. Now what I've learned is you can give somebody a gift. We played uh, Dirty Santa. Y'all ever play that? A few years back, played Dirty Santa. I brought a gift. The next year, I noticed when somebody opened the gift, is the same gift I gave like the year before. I said, hey, I gave that last time. Where'd you get that? He said, from you, last year. I said, oh, this is dirty. I learned something that day. Just because I give you a gift doesn't mean you open it or ever use it. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, but there's a lot of a lot of people that aren't really using they're not really using his power. They're not really using what's available through him in their life. Does that make sense? I think the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit brings in our life, outside of just honestly, power beyond our own. We think of the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal people often think of speaking in tongues. And by the way, I believe that and I speak in tongues. Okay? But i got to tell you, the greatest gift the Holy Spirit's given me is the gift of friendship. The Greek word for Holy Spirit literally means one who comes alongside you. It's like having a best friend in your life. That's probably been the greatest gift. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate all that He brings in my life, and I want all that He brings in my life. He's my friend. When my mom was dying of cancer, He's there for me. Some of the greatest trials of my life, He was there for me. When I shouldn't have had any peace, He brought me peace. He's even opened doors and given opportunities to me that I'd have never saw through my own eyes. But because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit, He let me see it. He let me notice it. I'm in Walmart one time. There's a big old burly guy. Just, you know, a Dixon County. I was actually up here in Walmart in Dixon. I was going to say redneck, but I don't, that, that may not sound good. I don't know, but just big old guy. And I'm walking by him, and I feel like the Holy Spirit prompts me and just tell him that, that I love him. And I thought, whew, I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I looked over at Jessica, and I thought, you know, God, she's been saying, I wish God would use me more. Here's her opportunity, Lord. Let's get her to do it. I even said to her, hey, I think God may want you to go over and tell that guy that, that he loves him. And, and she said, God didn't tell me that. Did he tell you that? Oh. 
I circled this guy about five times. Looked like a shark waiting to feed on him. <laughs> Finally, I get the guts up, and I go over there, and I said, Hey, bro, I feel like I'm supposed to come over here, and God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. He goes, What? I said that he loves you. He goes, Who loves me? I thought, well, I might as well. I said, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he spoke to me through the person of the Holy Spirit. God told me to come over and tell you he loves you. I know that's weird. That's what God said to tell you. And I thought, you know, I'll say that and walk away. <laughs> Tears start pouring down his face. Lip starts quivering. At that point, I get bold. I put my arm on him. That's right. God loves you. I'm saying to God, God, I'm glad we did this. I was telling you, Lord, I knew. <laughs> he breaks. He said, I'm a backslidden Christian. I grew up in the church. I've known Jesus. But I've been in a life of sin for a long time. I got bitter and angry, and I walked away from God. And I want to come back. And I told God today, God, if there's any way you'd forgive somebody like me, Please show me. Somehow let me know. I just said that to God over an hour ago and you just walked up to me and said, God loves me. How did you know? I said, listen, buddy, I am a man of God, a man of faith. He tells me something, I just do it. I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, listen, I felt like God sent me to do that. I felt like I was going to throw up. I didn't want to come over and tell you. He goes, well, I saw you keep circling me. I was getting weirded out. I said, here's what I was doing. I was just kind of walking around going, God, are you sure this is you? Are you? And then I'd walk off and I'd go, God, I just, I don't think so, Lord. You know, only, only think stuff like that. That's only a result of this gift God's put in our life called the person of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's just, I'm just giving you the, just the foundation of it. You need to start a study on the Holy Spirit. You ought to start in John 14, 15. Just start, read 16, 17. And you just see who the person of God's Holy Spirit, it's His gift because He went back to heaven. He did not leave you here comfortless. He did not leave you alone. He has resourced you. And then lastly, here's the ceremony we'd all think about. It's the wedding ceremony. Because see, the husband had to go away. Just like in Pakistan, he said, we got engaged and then I didn't see her for months, nearly a year. I went, what? No dating? He said, no, you do not date in this country. We don't date here. I said, really? What were you doing? He said, we were building an addition to my father's house so that I'd have a place for her to come and live. And I remember when he said that, I thought right then, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And as I studied, I found out 2,000 years ago, the groom would leave and they would build a mansion, is what they called it. I don't want to burst your bubble, but you know what mansion means in Greek? Room. Some of you are like, you mean I ain't going to have a 12,000 square foot movie theater room? I, I don't know. But it means room. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare for you and I'm going to make room for you. And in that day, a boy would go back and he'd, he'd build a room onto his dad's house because they live with the patriarch of the family, still do to this day, in those countries. 
But here's the thing. You go, so when would the son come back? See, that's the thing. He didn't know. The dad was the patriarch of the family. The dad made the major decisions of the family. Everybody looked to the father. He didn't know. It was whenever the dad felt like he was ready. He just kind of come by and look over what he was doing. And when the dad got where he just good well and felt like it, he'd say, go get her. And when I learned that and I read that out of a commentary, I went, you got to be kidding me. Because the Bible says in Matthew 24, Jesus has told him, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. He said, but here's what you need to know. About that day, the day the bride's coming back for the groom, the day that the wedding's going to take place, that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Jesus is saying, I don't even know. But only the Father. And when that dad would come to that boy and say, go get her, they would call the friends of the bridegroom, and they'd go with them. And they go out shouting and they blow a trumpet to announce his coming. Did you know that? They blow a trumpet to announce his coming. A ram's horn, if you will. And when they could hear it, the bride, because here's the thing. She had to be ready every day. She didn't know when he's coming. So every day she had to get up and act like today was going to be her wedding day. You go, well, he could have gave her a notice. No, 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 that's not how it worked. She didn't know when her wedding day would be, so she just had to act like today could be the wedding day. She had friends. They're called the, the friends of the bride. And every day they had to get up and they had to be ready because they're, they're her bridesmaids. They're her wedding party. And they were going to help her. So every day they had to get up and they had to make sure they had lamps. Because when Jesus said, I'll come as a thief in the night, He said He didn't know the day or the hour, but He did know it would be an analogy that it'd be like in the night because oftentimes the dad would say to the son go and it would be in the evening or at night time so the ladies when the bridal party showed up they would come and they would pick up the groom and his party would pick up the bride and their party and they would leave there and they would go back to the father's house and at the father's house the wedding ceremony was ready it was prepared when the boy left, they started preparing. The dad already knew the day was going to be. He already had things hid and planned, and he was ready. So when they come back, it was all set up. It was called the marriage supper. You ever heard that before? Read Revelation chapter 19. You'll hear about when Jesus comes and gets us, he's taking us back to his father's house, and we're going to sit down at something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. But what if she's not ready? What if her friends aren't ready? That's what the parable of the ten virgins are about. Five had all, five weren't ready. And they got left behind. The bride every day had to adorn herself. Can you imagine a bride coming to a wedding in pajamas? Hair all jacked up. Hadn't taken a bath in three days. Didn't even bother to brush her teeth this morning. Can you imagine a bride showing up like that? Now, I know I'm in Dixon County, so that's probably happening at a wedding or two here. And you say, you're making fun of us. Well, we didn't do that in New Johnsonville, Tennessee. Prim and proper down there. But, thank you. Yeah. That's what's wrong with him. That's where he's from. We drank out of the Tennessee River. I glow in the dark, just so you know. You had to be ready and... 
And the point is when Ephesians 5, and I'll just cut this short, when he, Jesus said, hey, he's talking to husband and wife. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wife, treat your husband this way. Then he says this, because there's coming a day that I'm going to come and get the bride and I want her to be presented to me without spot, wrinkle, or any such blemish. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Church, make sure you're ready. Be ready. There would be no greater shame if the groom showed up and the bride wasn't ready, there was no greater shame than that groom could experience in his life. For his bride to be, to not even be ready for their wedding day. I don't know about you, but Jesus isn't going to come back and have to feel any shame when he finds me. And I'm looking around this room and I'm thinking that's probably true of almost everybody in this room. We've got a determination in us, right? We're going to serve God. I'm not saying we're perfect, but when we fall, we're going to confess that sin. We're going to get up and we're going to start serving God again. We're going to get ready. We're going to stay ready. We're going to look to His coming because Jesus Christ is coming back for His church. The groom is coming for the bride. I want everybody in here, if you would, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I've got one question before I turn it over to Pastor Tanner. Are you ready? Are you ready? And if you're not, here's what I want you to know. The cup is being offered to you. Christ offers you salvation. You go, you don't know who I am, Josh Anna. He offered it to Judas. He offered it to Josh Hanna. I'm looking, TJ's in the room. If he'll offer it to TJ, trust me, he'll offer it to you. All jokes aside, he offers it to all mankind. I don't care what you've done. If you're in here and you need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you need to turn your life over to the care of God and surrender yourself to Him, right now, nobody's looking. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but raise your hand and say, Josh, I want you to pray a prayer with me because I'm about to get saved. I'm about to get right with God. God bless you. God bless you. Raise your hand and hold it up. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you, 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 and you. Is there anybody else? I'm about to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk out of here today saved. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to walk out of here today giving. God bless you. Hey, everybody raise their hand. God bless you. Everybody that raised their hand, let's pray a prayer together. Church, let's pray it with them as a source of encouragement. Let's say this to God together. Come on, let's say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin. And I believe that you rose again on the third day and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin and I confess that you can have lordship in my life in Jesus name amen and amen give him a big old hand clap come on